The Blobcast, sponsored by PHS. My name is Sean, and I started my period when I was 13 years old. My name is Beth and I started my period at 11. My name is Karen and I started my period when I was 12. My name is Lena and I started my period when I was 11. My name is Jo and I started my period when I was 13 years old. Hello and welcome to The Blobcast. Here at The Blobcast, we want to free the period. What does that mean? It means periods shouldn't cost us money. How do we even begin to achieve this? We think open conversations about periods are the start. Shame and stigma around bleeding and menstruation has ruled for too long. My name is Casey Robinson. I'm a period educator, and that means I go into schools and workplaces to talk about all things periods. I'm also a diversity and inclusion educator. In this limited series of the Blobcast, we'll be talking to some of my favorite activists, commentators, and charities that work in this area. The one thing we all share is a passion for periods, a passion for open conversations. Many of you will have heard the term period poverty. We're not going to use that phrase here because research shows that people in that situation feel uncomfortable with it. We're going to use the phrase period equality, which is more than affordability. It's about awareness, understanding, and again, back to those open conversations. In this episode, we're going back to basics. How much do we know about periods? Could you identify a vagina? What's a cycle? My first guest today is Saskia Bougeau. Saskia is a period educator just like me and works in schools across London teaching kids and young people about all things periods. She's written a book called This Period in My Life. Welcome to the Blobcast. Thank you. My second guest is also the author of a book, You Can Have a Better Period, Lenise Brothers. She's also a period nutritionist and yoga teacher and expert on how to holistically deal with your periods. Welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you both? We're good. Great. good. Well, great. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. great. great. <laughs> we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to be, to be right? <laughs> very well, thank you. Good. I'm very well. Um, so obviously, those were like very short intros. I always struggle with mm. intros. You'd reduce things down so much, right? Whereas I'm sure as you're both aware, like the richness of this work, how varied like day to days are. So I don't know. Is there anything you feel like that was missed in that mini intro? So. Maybe I should add that I teach all aspects of relationship and sex education, so okay. not just periods. Yeah. Periods is notoriously been sort of a really small part of a bigger puberty lesson. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of my work has been to just try and make a pure lesson about just periods to make sure that we can get the time that it deserves, which is still not enough. It's never um, enough though, right? Yeah, like, it's <laughs> never enough. It's never enough. And then I also feel like I should add that I'm a mum as well of girls, so I'll have lots of periods, conversations at home. Yeah. Huge part of my it's life. It's very important work. Yeah. So I'm glad you yeah, mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a big yeah, job. Yeah. I hope my mum's listening to mum. <laughs> <laughs> Anise, you want to add anything? Yeah, well, I also work in menstrual health, so that encompasses periods, but it's also conditions that affect the periods. So endometriosis, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, fibroids, amenorrhea, all ages and phases when it comes to menstruation, but also lots of conditions that kind of fall out of having a reproductive system. I feel like if I was listening to this, it's kind of a question in my head would be like, 
how do you like get into that, mm. right? Like this is something which I guess all of us will sit here and just nod at each other and be like, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> normal. That's a regular conversation. Everyone talks about this. But I suppose that isn't really like the reality. So I wonder maybe just to like share a little bit about your background or even just like the passion. I think sometimes a lot of people in this sector, a lot of it comes from either a personal story or a family mm. member or something that's like led you into wanting to do more for like period well-being, period health, etc. So yeah, so I think we mentioned having a personal story and that is certainly true for me. When I first got my period, it was really painful, it was really heavy, but that was the story that I was told about what periods were supposed to be like. As the years went on, I kind of saw friends and their experiences and I kept saying to myself, well why aren't their experiences the same as mine? I shifted careers to retrain as a nutritionist. And when I was studying my lecturers, they said to me, you have to choose something. You know, you can't be all things to all people. And I kept going back to menstrual health periods. So that's kind of how I got into this space, through a nutrition kind of well-being perspective and how I can help people have better periods, improve their menstrual health through their food, lifestyle, the way they move their body, and all of that. I think that's really, like, fascinating in the sense of, I mean, this episode's literally called, like, Basics, right? And I feel like what you've just described is what the basics should be, but the basics is literally just, here's a tampon, here's a pad, good luck, right? Like, that's what we're facing realistically when actually, you know, I mean, I've learned so much from, from your page and the nutrition aspect side of it and just learning so more, that idea of pain, like this idea we're just all completely educated into thinking that like pain is just what comes with it right and like doubling over and all of this discomfort you should feel is really part of it so the idea that all you've just described there should be the basics but we're pretty far away from that right now Saskia Mm. yeah I can really uh, relate to that because so I was teaching already so I've been teaching for nearly 20 years now I was primary school teacher and I was trying to get pregnant for a long time and then realised that I was going through excruciating monthly bleeds and highly medicating myself. And this was just becoming my norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was very quickly diagnosed with endometriosis and then had my kids through IVF treatment. Okay. And this happened all in a very kind of very sort of fast, intense period of about five years where at the end of that, I couldn't cope with the workload and doing or having all these procedures, very, you know, intensive, invasive procedures when it comes to your body. And I think I I did a lot of work on, you know, why I felt my body had kind of failed me. Mm-hmm. And then I did a lot of soul searching and realized I'd had zero sex ed. The narrative was periods are painful. And I happened to catch the wave of the new relationship and sex education curriculum coming in and being pushed through Parliament at that time. And now it's sort of all that I do is teach that. So I don't have a class anymore. I just go into schools and do workshops. Um, I'm really trying to kind of reclaim the periods are normal, periods are healthy, you know, oh periods gosh. are natural. And and that message is really hard to get across. Yeah, you such know, a simple idea yeah. is really like, and I always say this as well, like in schools, maybe like you're expecting a little bit of unease, but I'm like, kids mm. take this way better than adults do, right? Yeah. Like kids are open box. They want to talk about this. They've always got a million questions, but like just, telling adults that like periods are normal and healthy and it's kind of important that we know about them it's like hey, what are you talking about those rude things lady over there right yeah, like blood horror yeah, yeah how dare you like even yeah. saying the word vagina out loud yeah. grown women have been like 
Mm. What, what are you saying? Like, why are you doing that? I've actually got a vagina museum sticker in the back of my phone. And years ago, I was doing a workshop and it was all men. And I had the phone like upside down. I didn't want people to like messages coming through. And I remember two of the guys in the session walked past my phone and like visibly jumped and were like, oh, and I was like, what, are you OK? They were like, just, oh, 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 oh it does say, it says that. And I was like, what does it say? And they're like, well, does, I'm trying to. <laughs> like, it's men were like over the age of 50 right you know and regardless of like sexual orientation anything like that but like just seeing the word physically moved their bodies and I just remember this being like bawled over about the fact that like what does that even mean that we can't even say it out loud mm. so again like this idea of going back to the basics how are we going to open up that conversation and I think that feels definitely in terms of for adults right like how do they become interested or like have that element of care and so what I was going to do is kind of go over some facts with you and we can start to think about, okay, why are we having to do the basics? Why do we need to talk about the basics? This is from a YouGov study. 59% of men and nearly half of women, 45%, could not identify where the vagina was on a diagram. Does that ring any bells? And like Saskia's nodding at me, so... Yeah, yeah, so that feels like quite a high statistic for me. I was expecting almost lower. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, I, I know a sexual health advisor who meets adult grown women who still refer to their front bottom or down there or down below, and right. they can't be specific about their body part. And, you know, if we can't say vulva, vagina, lips, clitoris... How are we going to talk about blood and pregnancy and then fertility and then infertility? And so it's just the layers get added on to each other and it just gets really hard kind of to crack those layers. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I suppose for some people, like that statistic of like 59% of men, I'm sure we'd all do an eye roll and be like, oh, typical, you know, right? But I think, which again, it shouldn't be like that. That shouldn't be the statistics. But also it's pretty high for women. And I think that sometimes as well, that's, there's this idea, I suppose, I don't really know where this idea is from, but like this is idea that because it's happening to you, you therefore understand and know about it and can articulate it and are educated on it. But in fact, the reality is, is that even as young girls, as women, you know, as even anyone with a period and on with a vagina is never really educated about any of that. And so even if it's something that happens to you every give or take month, you're still a bit clueless, right? And just kind of like rolling with the punches. <laughs> I do find that a bit stunning, though, that the female side of that stuff, because as you say, it is happening every kind of menstrual month. So to not have a vocabulary about what's happening to you, that kind of speaks to a lack of kind of basic literacy about yep. your body. And that's very troubling to me. Yeah. Right? I think also in schools, you know, what we're trying to do now is just be very transparent mm. about the language that we're using but we still have to prepare for the use of that language. Yeah. So, you know, I'm here today. I am going to be very clear about terminology. So I will be using the words vagina, vulva, anus, testicle, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And you can see there's still a flinch, you know, in the eyes of these children and young people and teenagers, even more of a reaction. But I think it's just so important to get that clarity out there. I think with teachers, they've got to be clear about words that are being used. I think it's tricky in the home because obviously parents are carrying generational mm -hmm. language. So we're just trying to tell 
kids that, you know, what would the doctor say? You know, head, shoulders, okay. knees, toes, vulvanus, testicles, right. you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking goes. about yeah. basic body parts, mm. but somehow, like, these are dirty words and naughty words and you've done something and there's almost like an, an element of shame that comes up in your own body just by saying the word out loud and it's like just to show how deeply entrenched it is. So I guess when we look at statistics like this, I mean, the next one is... 46% of women did not know the vagina is self-cleaning and you shouldn't wash the inside of your vagina. And so even thinking like now, like the idea of having an open conversation about washing your vagina, washing your vulva, right? Like saying those words out loud feels like this. I feel like it's sometimes it's sexualized as well and that's why it gets so dismissed or why people feel so uncomfortable. But I also think that menstrual product companies have a lot to do with this notion because... Yeah. You know, you think about in the 80s and the 90s, douching. There were so many ads. Like, I grew up in Canada, so I remember ads on TV for so-called feminine douches. Mm -hmm. And so you see this on TV, you see these ads in magazines, and you think, oh, actually, well, should I be using this? Because you don't know, and I think that might be part of it. And, like, scented tampons, scented pads, oh, it's not supposed to smell like that, you know. Right. So I think that might be part of it. This kind of false education that's come from tampon and other menstrual product companies. Yeah, for sure. This idea that, like, well, I guess it links to that idea that it's so wrapped in shame, right? The idea that we need to cover it up to the extent of actually covering up its natural, healthy smell <laughs> like yeah. how it physically looks you know all of those things and how like damaging that is and you know we were talking about this before about using tampons to some people are using tampons to absorb their discharge because they're so ashamed and embarrassed about having wow. discharge like what does that mean to actually I don't ever recall a conversation about discharge right or even yeah. when you even see it mentioned today do you see those specific pictures that help young people and everybody actually know what it looks like what it is when it's healthy and you know I remember the first time I learned that it looks different from different parts of your cycle and I was like are you serious like, my body is so clever oh my gosh but before that I don't know what I'd come up with in my head. I maybe invented I'd had like an STI or something because I just didn't know, no one had ever explained, I'd never seen it talked about, that it's different, mm. right? And so the idea is that we're consistently, then like you say, from these kind of older companies then that's passed down, our parents have thought like that, X, Y, Z, it's this whole idea of like how can we actually physically also hide this as well as just not talk about it. Mm. But even like you're talking about cervical fluid and the changes throughout the menstrual cycle, I remembered for such a long time, I thought that something was wrong with me. And I kept thinking, oh, I have an STI because, you know, I would have all of these pairs of underwear that were stained. Mm -hmm. And, oh, should I be using a pad? I'm not normal. And then I got into this space and I was researching and, oh, actually, this is normal. You know, that the acidity mm -hmm. that actually is staining underwear is a sign of a healthy vagina and a vulva. Right. Yeah, it's just so confusing for young people because they they want to we want to normalize it, but at the same time we don't want anyone knowing. Yeah. So you're a bit caught in between a rock and a hard place. Right. Yeah. And then on top of that, these products exist. So why are they there if we're not going to use them? And so these brand names will get thrown at us during lessons. But what about this one? And what about this one? You know, lots of useless products exist. But yeah, trying to talk about the fact that also it's normal for vulvas to smell mm -hmm. and normalising that and also knowing what your scent is. Exactly. And then yeah. 
if that changes or if there's a change in discharge, that is a clue that something might be up. Mm -hmm. And by masking that with all these products, you know, we're missing communication there from our bodies. So I think it's just also about trying to tap into what our body is communicating with us. I think what's really interesting is moving beyond kind of schools to other places where kids, teenagers spend a lot of time into social media, we actually do see the conversation starting to change. Like platforms like TikTok especially are super interesting because you see the conversations that are happening on there and people in their teens, their 20s, talking about periods, talking about their experiences of painful periods, heavy periods, endometriosis, where it's kind of like young people, they just want the information. Yeah. They feel like they're not being given it, and they just want the information. And I'm really encouraged by what I see from younger people on platforms like TikTok, where it just seems much more pragmatic. And I, of course, there's so much more work to do, but I think it's a really great mm. starting point. Yeah, for sure. We asked staff and learners at Harlow College about their period education at their former schools. No one had told me anything, absolutely nothing. Hand on heart, I remember it to this day. I went to the toilet and I thought, oh my goodness, I've eaten too much beetroot. Because I had no idea at that point that that's what was happening to me. Absolutely terrified. So my girls knew very early on what was going to be happening to them and something to look forward to. I remember when I started, I started at my dad's and I was so scared of telling my dad because obviously the stigma is that not every man knows exactly what everything is. But I did tell my dad and he was so supportive. He went and got me period products and... It was absolutely fine and it was that lift off my chest, but it was just the fact of telling him in the first place. Because obviously being that young and they don't really teach you it in primary school and a lot of people start in primary school. Like a lot, I know a lot of people that started at like 10 and they didn't know what it was and I think they need to start teaching people younger than what they are. I didn't learn anything about periods until like year nine and by then of what I'd been bleeding for what, three years? I had to do research myself to understand things about it. I had a friend and she told me that she tried tampons and it didn't work when she was a virgin and she lost her virginity. She was like, oh, I can use them now. And I was like, oh, OK, so maybe, maybe like, when I lose my virginity, I'll do it that way. And then I tried it and I was like, well, this still isn't working, so clearly something's not going on. So no, I Googled yeah. it and it was like, that's not true. And I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like when my mum brought up to my dad that I was going to start using tampons, I don't know why they were having the conversation. My dad just goes... Why, why are they doing that? They've not had sex yet. And I'm just like, oh, you're so uneducated for a man who worked in childcare for 11 years. <laughs> like, I think it is to do with education, especially in primary school. I know we had our first kind of sex education talk in year six, and that was mainly focused on periods and puberty. But I remember being separated into girls and boys. And again, I don't think that's a correct way of going around it because I believe everyone should learn about every person's puberty and things that go on because there's men and women and whoever in your life especially for transgender people non-binary people in that situation as well like people who will eventually or maybe already have figured themselves out in that way that must be like a 
quite a horrible situation to be forced into something that you you're not but I do believe it's very education based because I mean I don't know much about boys puberty and what males typically go through because I was separated and that was my education experience and that's my opportunity to educate myself on what people do but not everyone's going to do that um but that ties into like you know sexuality as well like when we had eventually those kind of talks in school as well like I'm gay and I wouldn't know my way around a woman but we were taught very much about heterosexual relationships and I think it's an open conversation about anything to do with that people who maybe experience more pain less pain like you were saying everyone is different also the other issue that's worth mentioning is is that teachers haven't all been trained in how to talk about periods so they're carrying their own experiences and or lack of experience yeah. into a very personal space and you know it's like I wouldn't be expected to teach maths you know I, yeah. I'm not trained to teach maths yeah. and it, yeah, a calculator. Biology, you, know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then the PE teacher who's been trained to teach hockey is coming in and, and being expected to to teach about periods or you yeah. know a body image or eating disorders or whatever it might be and he's yeah. following from a book and so I think that there's definitely an impact in terms of how beneficial is it to get uncomfortable teachers teaching something that we're supposed to be really assertive about. Correct. And actually, I think some studies have done some work on this and it's, it's actually more detrimental to have bad sex ed than no sex ed yeah. at all. So there's a gaping hole for period positive people in schools, which is why I think, you know, heads of schools need to just tap in on people who are again passionate about it it's not it's not for everyone because that's that's not what we signed up for but it, it is it tends to be the subject that kind of gets dispatched or thinly spread across an already very busy timetable which is where externals like you and me have value yeah but it can't replace you know, a consistent, robust curriculum, it, it can't. But I also think that it's important to, to separate conversations about periods from sex because uh, they obviously are connected, but they're not always connected. And I think that's where parents need to be much more involved and be able to talk much more frankly to their children about what's going on with their bodies and stop using euphemisms like, you know, willy and, you know, all of that and just be really honest with their children because if they're not learning it at home, they're relying on schools for this really important conversation or they're relying on the internet and you just don't know what your kid is going to be learning and that, frankly, scares me. The Blobcast. Free the period. We also asked what they thought about menstrual education for those who don't have periods. So I had a friend in secondary school who was a guy and he knew I was on my period so I'd gone to the toilet and I came back and he was like, so how did you pee? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, how did you like take the pad off? And I was like, I don't understand what you're asking me. And he was like, well, you know, like it sticks, don't it? And I was like, to my underwear, yes. And he was like, no, it sticks to your like... To you. To you. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> no. And he was like, what? But this just shows how like people aren't educated. And he was like, well, I don't have to know. Like, I don't have to go for it. And I was like, but you do, because clearly you're misinformed. Yeah. And if you yeah. said that to someone else, they'd probably laugh at you. I was 
talk brief stuff about like yeah. how you gotta be respectful to the to the girls about it, how it's a private matter for them, and how you should be as sensible as possible uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to like situations where they suffer from like things that happen. Basically, I thought it was honestly nothing. Like when I, it was like it's something you sweep under the rug. For them, when I was in my school, it felt like as if it was a tedious task for them to bring it up. It was like. I don't know, when you have a new worker in your work and you've got to teach them how to do something simple, it's like unnecessary. We are sponsored by PHS. PHS supplies schools with period products which are free for any and all learners who need them, whenever they need them. No questions asked. Lenise, I want to talk to you about periods and nutrition and like just knowing about good stuff going in your body and I want to frame this also because I feel like when we talk about difficulties with periods people always sort of blame like usually like body size right mm. like if you're in a bigger body somehow that's the reason why you have all these awful periods I would argue that it's something that I've probably never been taught about probably the majority of what I know is from your Instagram <laughs> and just really looking at that and how what does it mean because I think when we talk about periods we don't really talk about food or nutrition besides the get a bar of chocolate to get rid of the period pains, yeah, yeah. right? So that is something that I feel like is one of the most normalised things. So besides, like, having a bubble bath and a bar of chocolate... Hot like water bottle. But, like, what would you want to share and help people understand more around periods and nutrition? Well, firstly, that there is a lot that you can do to have a better period, that just because you have a bad period now, whether it's really painful or it's really heavy, or on the flip side, if it's really light... Because, you know, some people might be listening to this and think, oh, well, I have a light period. I have a two-day period. That's fine. But actually, it's not fine because that could be an indication of hormonal issues, mm -hmm. so not making enough estrogen. So the idea is that what you put into your body every day from a nutrition perspective can make a massive impact on the quality and the quantity of your period and your overall menstrual cycle and so just really thinking about it from a really basic way is what can you add into every single meal that you eat to gradually change your menstrual health to gradually help yourself have a better period looking at every meal as an opportunity so you're not trying to do some massive overhaul but certain green vegetables are amazing there's a family of vegetables called cruciferous vegetables. Mm -hmm. So broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale, kohlrabi. And you're just taking it kind of step by step. Maybe it's, I'm going to focus on dinner. I will just add a portion of broccoli to my dinners three or four times a week. And that's a really great starting point. And then from there, you just keep building because it can feel very overwhelming you know once every menstrual month you have this really painful period and then it goes and then you feel like you're back at square one when the next period comes around it's really painful but if you just take this in a really gradual way it can make a massive difference to your menstrual health I think we're so used to having a problem with period and medicalizing and, and yeah. medicating and we're coming away from that generation now. And I think the first default setting when it comes to period pain has got to be food, food for medication on, on every level rather mm. than immediately going to a painkiller. I think that should be in schools, that what 
can we package? Yeah, how can we? Yeah. Yeah. Hold, you, hold your book up to the camera. <laughs> hold it, hold it. It's true. Sorry, I just um, had to say, yeah, I feel cross that we don't, that we haven't been told that. But, you know, that is nourishing your cycle. It's such mm. a... Such, seems like such a basic thing to know. It's a difficult conversation to open up because how do you talk to young people? How mm. do you talk to people in general about nutrition when we are dealing with situations where people aren't even able to afford the basic things in their lives? And then yeah. someone starts saying, you know, add broccoli to this and kale to that. And then it's like, well, now this is about money. And mm. the conversation yes. just derails so many times, which is obviously, again, is not to kind of push that aside, but it is to say, okay, well, but how can I still have the knowledge though? So that if the opportunity sort of arises, I am able to make some of those changes, even gradually I could do it. And that's sort of how I've always felt and kind of see it happening is that we don't have the conversation about nutrition because it's race, because it's classed, because it's Mm. illusion of fat phobia and sexism, right? That it just gets left out. But I think just also remembering that the basics can really make a difference. And that's where people get really overwhelmed with any conversation about nutrition because there's so many mixed messages low carb this high protein keto you know it has to be about what works in your body and ultimately what i see is that most people aren't even doing the basics for a number of different reasons some of which you just mentioned but just going back to the basics in a way that isn't overwhelming fits into your life the blobcast talking all things period This wouldn't be a basics episode if we didn't talk about the menstrual cycle in and of itself. And of course, the key thing that obviously you have to communicate to young people is it isn't just the days that you bleed. You actually have a menstrual cycle, which covers the sort of full month, as we term it. Um, And so can you tell me a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about what that should look like and how that works? Sure. So in the book, I have a chapter which is called Seasonal Period, where I liken the phases of the cycle to seasons, which I find is a really nice way of bringing it back to nature. So phase one is menstruation phase, is when the blood is leaving the body through the vagina, and that's phase one. And sometimes young people think that that's phase four because it's the last thing that's happening, but actually it's the first phase, menstruation phase. The next one is the follicular phase, which would be spring, which is when the eggs in one of the ovaries begin to develop and ripen. Um, The next phase would be phase three, which is the ovulatory phase, which is when one egg begins to travel and has a journey down the fallopian tube destination womb. And if we're in the classroom, we might talk about what do we do in the summer? We travel. Well, that's exactly what the egg's doing down the fallopian tube is traveling. And then the last phase is the luteal phase, phase four, which is when the egg reaches the womb. And if it is not fertilized, then the womb lining thickens and prepares to shed. And when it begins to shed, you would be moving back into your phase one. So again, trying to bring back the idea of cycles, just like the lunar cycle, seasonal cycle, water cycle, this idea of repetition, which is why we call it menstrual cycle. The Blobcast. The period. <laughs> I want to ask you both about cycle tracking. So I guess maybe, I mean, kind of comment from the way that you come, but Saskia, I'm assuming that's something you talk about a lot in workshops and, you know, sort of mm. showing them the apps that are available, but like mm. really helping people understand why it's so important to track your mm. cycle. Well, the book is almost a third charts. And I remember 
my dad saying to me, you know, why have you got all these charts in here? What are these for? You know, they can just download them. And the first thing to say about the book is that I really wanted it to be something personal and, and it felt like it was the, almost like a journal or a diary. And then in there was lots of symbols from nature to try and bring back this idea of periods just being natural and normal yes. and, and uh, healthy. And I love the symbols of the seasons representing the different phases of the cycle. Periods aren't just about blood. There's four different phases, you know. And to the point where young people could say, you know, I'm in my winter today or I'm feeling really autumnal or whatever. Having that language is, is I think, really powerful and also quite descriptive. And then there's a chapter in the book that I wrote, which was essentially about how we are all happier if we're just better prepared. Okay. You know, as kids, often we, we see these little toddlers having tantrums because they don't know what's going on. Like, no one's told them we're going to grandma's now, we're going, or whatever it might be. And I think if you know what's coming and you know you've got a massive rush of estrogen coming your way when you've got your swimming gala um, next week, you can plan for that and you can prepare and you can also expect to feel a certain way and it just it takes the mystery out of it and it means that we are happier better prepared and we can also blame the hormones rather than blaming ourselves and demonizing this idea that oh she's on so she's moody which is yeah, a lot classic. of what i see in schools is this yeah. weaponization of periods not just by boys also by girls. Yes, I agree. So I think it's, yeah, the cycle tracking for me was just about like really knowing where you're at in your cycle. But obviously within the first two years, young people are dealing with very regular periods as well. So trying to embrace the fact that you're not going to know. So be prepared anyway, have it in your bag. And But it, it it's a hard time for them until they get regular. And then it's such an empowering thing to know that you might be in sync with your friend and you know, you can be blood sisters or whatever it might be. I've seen those connections happen and you find these little moments of, of solidarity 500 times in our life, you know. It's a lot of times. It's a lot of times. <laughs> it's a lot and of times. it's like, you know, why can't we talk about this? If it's going to happen so much, we should be able to have these conversations, which is, you know, there's a lot of stats around, you know, how many people are menstruating at this moment? Well, at least 200 million. You know, we can't all be dirty type thing. Yeah, I think self-care, but also, like you said, I mean, you've mentioned two myths already, like, during mm. this, right? Like, the idea that you're dirty and the idea that, like, oh, she's on her period, so she's a nightmare. Yeah. Whereas knowing and understanding, like, what's happening to your body, when it's going to happen. So this kind of, like, the way that we dramatise the hormonal change, right, is this suddenly people who, when they start mentioning they're these dragons, as opposed to just people who, like, their hormonal balance has just changed, like, somewhat yeah. a little bit. But when you're aware of that and you know that that's coming yeah. in those days, you know, on the well-being aspect, how can you slow down? Is there yeah. a possibility to slow down or close your computer a bit earlier that day or have a bath, right? Like, recognising that there will be small changes as opposed to this, like, horrific thing that's happening to you and you're this sort of like angry monster that's screaming at everybody. Denise? I think also remembering that your period and your menstrual cycle are one of your five vital signs. Mm -hmm. And so a vital sign is something that gives you an indicator of your overall health status. So your yeah. blood pressure, your breathing rate, your body temperature. And so when your body temperature goes up or down, that's a sign that, you know, you need to look into what's going on. Similarly, if there are issues not only with your period, but also with your menstrual cycle, you need to look into them. And so when we approach it from this idea that your period and your menstrual cycle are 
a vital sign, and you naturally have these hormonal changes across the four phases, and they're there to to guide you. Now, rather than this idea that your hormones are controlling you, which I personally don't like, they're there to guide you, and you have these natural changes where you can harness them for benefit in so many different aspects of your life. So, you know, you're, you're a teenager, you may notice that actually you're more able to focus on your studying during certain phases of your cycle, whereas, say, around ovulation, you're more creative and you're more kind of open to doing things like school plays or performances or things like that. That's information that's really powerful and can be really helpful in terms of helping you understand yourself better. There's some sports personalities as well that are starting to cycle track. Okay. Like the Chelsea women's football team trainer is now tracking everyone's cycle. And, you know, these are really important things. And I think that there was a, a Japanese silver medalist at the last Olympic who, who basically blamed it on her, on her period. Yeah, I've seen that quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think, I think the more of that we have, not only about just talking about it and, you know, blaming it, but I appreciate what you're saying about also not being owned by your hormones. But that feels new. That feels For new, sure. this being able to to talk about these things. Yeah. So that's it's positive. Speaking of positive and speaking of myths and speaking of all those things, I feel like obviously this is a fairly like well-knowledgeable table that we're sat at, but there are obviously still misconceptions still out there. There are obviously still myths, taboos. Can you both maybe give me like a typical example of something that like keeps coming up? We know there's bits where like, oh, I've just been like, <laughs> like, oh, why do people start? Like, we all love this and I love the education part of it. But sometimes I'm like, damn it, we're not making any progress at all. Like they're still asking that question. So is there like one thing, or if there's two, you can have that as well. But like that you're like, let's put this to bed yes. right now. Do I have to take my tampon out if I go to the toilet? Yeah, still, yeah. Which again links that biology bit, right? Yes, exactly right. Well, what I do at that point is I get my, well, I have the PowerPoint up with a giant illustration of a vulva, open-legged, very clear with three holes. And I think this is where there's value in the science, but also at home, talking to our children about the different functions of the holes, but also having ownership over them, perhaps by just looking at what your vulva looks like. And when I talk about this with parents, sometimes it's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? What are you asking us to do, yeah, Saskia? How, how could you possibly <laughs> do it? How did you do that? Yeah, so sexual thing. How yes. dare you ask this of me? But, you know, yeah. the male body has external mm-hmm. genitalia, so we can, not we, no, I I'm, I'm, have female body, but, you know, boys and men can see what their penis testicles scrotum look like. Plus, um, we see it a lot, right? Like, yes. I always make this point. How That's many, right. like, penis-showing statues yes. have we seen in our lifetime? <laughs> right. A lot. Three gods <laughs> and lot, so on. You know? And then all the science books are always the same, very pink, light-skinned diagrams, illustrations of bodies, which are just not helpful. They're very symmetrical mm-hmm. and make everything look very perfect and hairless, and that's just not the case. 
And so I think that there's definitely value in also just saying, well, have a look at what holes you can see. And, you know, most of the time you can't see the urethra because it's so small, but that's where the urine comes out. And just naming all of this in a way that is like fact, basic scientific fact. So that that question is, no, you don't have to take your tampon out if you go to the toilet. Because that would be very annoying. Denise, (laughs) what's your... So periods are supposed to be painful. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. that's just, I hear that so often. And when I say periods aren't supposed to be painful, they can be painful, but they're not supposed to be painful. Yes. Oh, but that's what I was told, and that's what my mom told me, or I saw my grandmother, and so on and so forth. And it's something that, you know, I talked about, you know, the education that we get from seeing experiences of others and that's so it's so powerful because it's almost like you're learning by osmosis and these things they get ingrained people are being diagnosed you know the idea that if there is a pain that you can't do your normal functions you can't get out of bed you can't stand you need to see a doctor right? mm. you need to go to a gynecologist gp whoever you can get to see and speak to a trusted adult about it mm. because fundamentally we are dealing with the fact that women menstruators are being diagnosed with yeah. PCOS, with PMDD, with endometriosis. And so, like, I think sometimes, particularly with adults, you have that conversation. And I know a lot of older women sometimes have gotten quite angry at me sort of sort of saying that because they're like, but I've had painful periods my entire mm. life. And I'm like, that might be something that you've just never been diagnosed with. And that feels really harmful and feels, I think, shameful in some ways that you haven't known your body enough to literally live 30 years with something that's been sort of, like, taking over your life and day-to-day function and so yeah the pain thing for me is just standing out so much because I feel like that's just rearing its head as like an idea because it's just been such a normalized thing that periods equal pain yeah and you're it's not to shame anyone that has painful periods but just to remember that your period is a vital sign and a pain is a sign that something's going on and we shouldn't be normalizing pain Mm. you know we shouldn't be normalizing vomiting because your period is so painful or fainting or having to lay in one position because if you move it will be so painful that's not normal i want to talk about menopause slash perimenopause which admittedly is something i don't know a lot about and i've told myself this is the year i'm going to start learning a lot more because with my periods, I learned about it too late, right? So, like, I only really started getting to grips with understanding, like, in my mid-20s and thinking about what could that could have been if I'd learned this when I was 16, 17, right? So I don't want to be surprised. <laughs> but in my sort of, like, starting this, I'm seeing this word menopause, perimenopause. For those listeners maybe like me who are like, what? what's that? What are you talking about now? Why... Is, should we be calling it menopause? Is it perimenopause? What's the difference between the two? Um... So please educate me and everyone who's listening. Yeah, so perimenopause is very different to menopause. So menopause is one day. You haven't had your period for 12 months. It's typically anywhere between the late 40s, your late 40s, and early to mid 50s. It can really vary. Mm -hmm. Perimenopause can start as early as your late 30s. And there are actually four phases of perimenopause. It's very, very gradual. And there are a lot of symptoms associated with perimenopause. But essentially what's happening is that you're not 
always ovulating every menstrual cycle. You have a finite number of follicles which turn into mature eggs that you release during ovulation. And you have a finite number of, and that eventually you stop making as many mature eggs. And so with that comes a lack of progesterone, which is that kind of calming hormone that we make when we, we release when we ovulate. And so that can lead to symptoms that a lot of us associate with menopause, but are actually perimenopausal symptoms. So things like hot flashes, night sweats. And then alongside that, you have the effect that this has on estrogen because you think estrogen and progesterone, you think of them kind of like they're a pair. One affects the other and they balance each other, but it suddenly use this balancing effect of progesterone. And that leads to this state that we associate with menopause, but it's actually perimenopause. And perimenopause, we go through these four phases and eventually we stop having periods. And then what happens after that one day with the menopause is post-menopause. But we call that menopause because that's just a kind of cultural definition. But if the kind of medical, biological definition is post-menopause, it's a interesting conversation because even saying this and I've had this conversation in workshops before and people just give me these blank looks because it's like the one I'm giving you right yeah, now yeah. Like, can, you, can you repeat that? Yeah. You're going to have to rewind that yeah. going <laughs> to say well this just I'm just going through the menopause but menopause is just one, one day. day just one day fascinating just one day okay Thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you so much for being here. This was the basics episode, which I feel like the basics are so basic, we probably would have talked for five minutes if we only stayed at the basics, considering where they are now. But we've established that the basics really should look like this, and this is as much as we would love to know, and we wish us that this could be the bare minimum. So hopefully, with all the amazing information that you've both shared, that that will help people with these initial sort of conversations in talking about periods. Um, Once again, thank you both for your time, and see you soon. The Blobcast. Breathe a period. My name's Lenise Brothers and my period started at 13. My name's Saskia Bougeau and my period started at 14. Thank you for listening to The Blobcast, where open conversations are our thing. Now, we want you to do the same in everyday life. Tell people that you're on your period, talk about your bleeding, and don't hide your period products. The more you talk, the more shame and stigma can be broken down. And the more that happens, the more we can free the period. We are sponsored by PHS. PHS supplies schools with period products which are free for any and all learners who need them, whenever they need them. No questions asked. If you're a teacher or a student listening to this, you can find downloadable resources on the PHS website. The link is in our episode description. Don't forget to follow us on our social channels. Just search for the Blobcast.